I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Groups of death, the thrill of a double save, what's the difference between being on the beach and on the plane, and Gary Lineker interviewing managers live on Match of the Day. Comedian Ivo Graham joins us for the latest edition of Mesut Harland Dicks. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is just £1 a week. Get all our great content on the app and listen to podcasts like this ad-free. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 45 of the Clichés Pod. I'm Adam Hurry and my co-pilot today is The Athletic's James Moore. Uh, James, it's always a good day when Wayne Lineker is trending on Twitter. Uh, Do you feel the same? Uh, and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Actually, no, not really. He feels like this kind, the kind of person, I mean, he exists on the periphery of my kind of knowledge of uh, society, really. And everyone else seems incredibly excited or incredibly annoyed by his existence, but I just don't have a strong feeling on him either way. I mean, I've only just come to terms with the fact that he actually exists and he isn't a parody character created from somebody deep on the on the internet. And But what remains a mystery to me is what his voice actually sounds like. I've never heard his voice. I can only assume he looks like he sounds like a Guy Ritchie character, but I can only assume he actually has Gary Lineker's voice. So um, the, the two just don't marry up for me. But we, I'm sure we'll get into uh, the Lineker dichotomy further on today. Um, our guest on Clichés this week is writer, comedian and the world's leading Tokyo-born Swindon Town fan. It's Ivo Graham. Thanks for joining us, Ivo. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to have cornered the Wiltshire Japan market in the way that I have. The, the lucrative uh, um, Wiltshire Japan market. There, there is this kind of sense of inevitability about this. Um, You've already been on Quickly Kevin a few times. It's a bit like playing for Everton and Sunderland. If you've been on Quickly Kevin, there's a fair chance you'll be on Football Clichés at some point as well. So, um, yeah, it, it was, this was always going to happen. Have, who have been the previous Quickly Kevin Football Clichés uh, double uh, doublers? Well, this is this is working more planning ahead. You're you're pretty much the first, so oh, I, I I'm just kind of yeah. I'm just I'm plotting the, the kind of inevitable way. Into, okay, so who who do you want next from the uh, from the quickly Kevin universe? Then? I don't want I don't want I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to sp- okay, spoil it <laughs> essentially. But yeah, um, yeah. Stop spoiling my podcast straight away. Uh, Sorry, Adam. <laughs> that's quite all right. But anyway, we have so much to get through today. Um, you are of course here for Mesut Harland Dix, the um, not award winning podcast segment of, of football cliches. But we do have some important matters for the adjudication panel to take care of this week. First of all, um, this has been bubbling 
along for quite a while during behind closed doors football, James. Um, it's swearing during live TV football games. Now, we're not here to discuss the technical aspects of it. Um, commentators have to apologise for this. This is this is Ofcom and, and this is the way it has to be. But I feel like it's reached its peak now. Um, this, is, this is from uh, the weekend. This is Kevin De Bruyne versus linesman Darren Can. So now there's what felt like. I mean, the main thing I'd say about that is that the linesman, you can clearly hear say that it's a circle, but we know it's not a circle, is it? It's a quadrant. And if there's one bit of geometry you want uh, a referee's assistant to know, it's what a quadrant is. He sounds a really linesman y voice. But it was just a very long wait for the apology. I I timed it about 24 seconds and it just felt like an eternity. Which gives us a chance to apologise if you picked up any inappropriate language. If you're watching without augmented effects, you would probably have heard a word you shouldn't have. Sorry for that. I also, I don't really understand why Darren Can felt necessary to point out that it was a circle, because it being a circle makes it even more likely that Steven Bergvine was actually too close. Unless he thinks it's some sort of inverted, like, convex affair. We're not here to talk about quadrants. Which case, fine. We're not here to talk about quadrants. Fine. We're here to talk about swearing on live TV football games. And, um... Ivor, that was that was delicious swearing, wasn't it? I think I find it very difficult um, to think of players being both uh, cultured in the way that De Bruyne is and also mouthy. It's such a incredibly yeah. sort of lazy stereotyping and association of, you know, if 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 you've got a fantastic eye for a crossfield pass, um, then you've never sworn in your life. But there's something particularly in Congress about De Bruyne. I find um, I was glad of the apology whenever it came. James, actually, I, I'm not sure about that. I think De Bruyne strikes me as the, the most irritable footballer in the, currently plying his trade in the Premier League. He just, it's not quite brattishness. He just seems constantly annoyed. Yeah, he does. He does look like like constantly incredulous, doesn't he? Like that, there is always something that has just annoyed him in the past thirty seconds. It's not some lingering major yeah. issue. It's always mm. something very minor that's happened very recently. He just seems constantly on the verge of saying, "You're not my real mum and dad." <laughs> After that sort of slightly awkward um, swearing on live football TV incident, um, swiftly after that, and in both cases, this was Sky commentator Rob Hawthorne, who who I felt dealt quite manfully with both situations. During the Wolves versus Southampton game on, on Monday night, uh, this was a rather more textbook apology. This is exactly how apologies for swearing during live football should go. Apologies there, by the way, if you heard some uh, industrial language. Um, crucial technical point here, Ivo, is that you, you, you get the sense that they're just thinking, oh, do I really have to do this? So th- there's always that very, very interesting pause halfway through where they go, sorry for the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, industrial language you may have heard. That, that, that pause is crucial to the apology for swearing on live football TV. It distances the commentator, not just from the swear <laughs> word itself, but from the entire class of character who would, who would issue such, such industry. Listener Brendan Hodrian um, writes in, James, and says, if a game kicks off before the watershed, but someone tells an official to fuck off after the watershed, should there still be an apology? I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I, It's like very philosophical, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I imagine probably... It doesn't seem like the watershed is a particularly integral element of this uh, ruling, <laughs> no. is it? I mean, it just seems to be whatever is said, they have to apologise for whenever it is, <laughs> yeah. regardless of how ludicrous. Yeah. He doesn't seem to respect the watershed whatsoever, but then you never hear swearing on match of the day. So I, I, I really don't know where football stands on this. 
Next up, Ivo, I don't think I've ever seen an official club statement quite like this. This was um, this was CSK Sofia um, welcoming Alan Pardew as their new director of football. Army men, English football specialist Alan Pardew will henceforth be part of the big red family of the army. He will take the position of technical director and will help with his vast experience and contacts in the overall development of the club and attracting players to the representative team. The 59-year-old Briton has already signed his contract and started working immediately. Welcome to the army, Mr. (laughs) Alan Pardew. It's the celebration of the fact that he's already signed his contract, which surely is so so implicit in these sorts of announcements. <laughs> he's literally done it. <laughs> it's never good, James, when um, well, I, when someone is refer, referred to as a Briton in any um, media context, that it can only mean one of two things. Either they've been voted into the top 100 greatest Britons of all time, or they've sustained some sort of serious injury at a holiday resort. Um, <laughs> I, I hope it's... I, I hope... For, I mean, Alan Pardew has great... Prospects of being the former, let's hope. Is it not when Andy Murray gets knocked out of Wimbledon? And I know this is an, an old joke, but that does not allow us as English people to kind of distance ourselves slightly from uh, Alan Pardew in the, in the I, face of some of his failings as a manager. I'm not sure if they use the actual word Britain in that context. I think, yeah, you, you hear British, but Britain is used in a very, very specific, narrow set of circumstances. Um, and this is the first time I've ever seen it used for Alan Pardew being um, appointed as the technical director for a crack East European outfit. Um Ivo, my question here really is, is his stay at CSK Sofia going to be measured in A, days, or B, weeks? I mean, Pardew's become such a synonym for sort of mid to lower table journeyman that it would be fantastic if he was now able to carve out some a, a sort of uh, a stint of real longevity in Eastern Europe. Um, but it does feel like it's A, days, or, or, or B, weeks, doesn't it? Um, rather than months or even years. I, I wish I could tell you more about how Sofia have done in recent years and whether they've got a track record <laughs> of, of really sticking with their men. But I think <laughs> even if they're happy with Pardew, you suspect that Pardew won't be happy with them for, for, for too long. Well, I look forward to seeing how it pans out anyway. Um, next up, James, um, a truly tidy inversion of a classic football cliche from Theo Walcott here. What is the Southampton verdict on that? I feel like the point um, probably feels more like a win, to be honest. I feel like this is a very difficult place to come in and get a result. And that is incredible, isn't it? I, I really, I can't... So do I. <laughs> I mean, I kind of see the point, but I mean, one, they've gone 1-0 up away to a team in there above in the league. So, I mean, you kind of think you're going to be at least a little bit disappointed. And two, yes, Molyneux in normal times is a difficult place to go. But given the current circumstances, I don't think we really need to uh, dwell on again. <laughs> Uh, it's not really, is it? It's not. I don't think it's an especially difficult place to go. No more difficult than any other Premier League ground or, or whatever else. Uh, so, I mean, it does seem a bit of a strange one. I mean, if they'd lost 2-1, say Wolves have scored in the last minute and won the game, would he have come on and said, well, I'm balanced, it probably feels like a draw. You know, half of the course, fair enough, fine. I, I, imagine what he would have done if they'd won. Yeah, I, I've, I'm troubled by Theo Walcott kind of bending the, uh, the the tapestry, the rich tapestry that is the language of football. I, I just don't know what to make of that. I've always thought of it as the other way around when a when I kind of draw is snatched from the jaws of victory, and then. Uh, but no, he, he's 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 got me right in a muddle here. Do you think if Southampton were, were sucked into a dogfight at the other end of the table, we could see Theo Walcott referring to a match as a real twelve pointer, just desperately <laughs> yeah. inflating everything? Just stay in your lane, Walcott. You don't. You don't see me missing presentable one-on-one chances at, at the top level. So uh, just leave the language of football alone, Theo. Thank you very much. We're revisiting um, 
a very particular subject again for the adjudication panel this week. Here once again is Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England. This is a bit this is a bit like saying theatre impresario Bill Kenwright, but um, Professor Jonathan Van Tam's penalty analogy continues as a vaccine nears. This is very good news at a kind of um, strategic level because it's the third goal in the back of the net now in my penalty shootout. It's the third vaccine with a positive readout. Ivo, this this penalty shootout, is is it getting more dramatic or is it petering out? I'm not entirely sure. I haven't followed every bit of the sort of Van Tam analogy over over the last (laughs) sort of few days and weeks. Is so... The, the 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 vaccines are scoring their penalties, but is it's it, not entirely clear. Is the implication that has he saved their best vaccine for the fifth vaccine? <laughs> you don't, you don't, you never save it for the fifth. We've potentially got a, one more great vaccine coming in, in 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 fourth, but I don't want it to go down to the fifth. Has the virus scored all three of its penalties so far? In which case, this isn't getting more relaxing at all. Oddly, I mean, on a, if we're going to get really technical here, he doesn't seem to have um, implied that the vaccine is taking any penalties at all. He's he's saying that the vaccine is the goalkeeper, <laughs> and there isn't an opposition. So it, it's so it's, there's only one team taking penalties, and it's us and the medical experts. Um, so that it's full of holes. This. Well, occasionally I do penalty shootouts in the garden with my brother, and we'd agree that to save us the faff of switching goalie gloves every penalty, we just do five of mine and then five of his, <laughs> which completely flips the sort Efficient. of mentality of a penalty shootout knowing exactly what you need as you go in to take your five. So maybe that's the Van Tam household as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, who knows how his uh, garden penalty shootouts go. Um, I should issue a public apology to Professor Jonathan Van Tam. On a previous episode, I declared that he supported Burton Albion, when in fact he supports Boston United. An important distinction, despite, in my head, the two clubs being exactly the same team. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, uh, we are here for the for the for the main business, the main event of today. This is Mesut Harland Dicks, the return. We're doing this. This is going to happen. This has an enduring appeal. Ivo Graham is the man who's going to steer this particular ship this week. Let's um, re-explain the format for everyone concerned, just in case you've never heard this before. Uh, Ivo has presented three things that he loves, that he fetishizes, that he finds oddly charming about football in 2020, and he has also declared three things that he despises, that he finds irritating, and just has an irrational, perhaps even tiny version two um let's go with the nice things first ivo um tell us about your first one well i think i'll start with the thing that um has brought me the most uh excitement throughout my life as a football fan and particularly uh, originated in 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 being a sort of childhood football fan which is um the concept of, of groups of death <laughs> right um which is such a i mean some you know international tournament football is you know electric to a you know an eight year old with a yeah. sticker book um, and a head full of dreams, but the so and so every bit of it, every every you know revelation of of who's got who uh, in their groups and who's going to be on the plane and all of the the sort of you know early summer um, tension around that consumes you. But I think as a sticker book sort of filling you know wall chart mounting. Um, 
sort of Rothman's Football Yearbook subscribing almanac, mm. it was noting who had who and debating furiously with people at school which groups were groups of death, <laughs> which is a debate which sort of is, is, is taken up into the realm of cliches and debated by, you know, managers and pundits themselves, despite the mm. fact that it's, it's quite a sort of, you know, infantile concept. Well, it's... It's a quite a slippery concept. I mean, you, you talk about the debates. Um, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Group of Death, the debates and definitions section of that Wikipedia page alone is 1,266 words long. Um, James, sometimes to identify a group of death, sometimes I just I sort of scan the groups vaguely. And after about 10 seconds, a particularly group of deathy vibe just emerges from somewhere. What are the criteria we're talking about here? I mean, clearly you need kind of at least two massive like big hitters like established footballing nations who have former winners uh, of that competition ideally they've won the tournament or they've won one of the other major tournaments so you know they're well established and we know you know even if they're not at their strongest they're still going to be a big presence in the tournament Mm. then I think what you probably want is someone who feels like a coming force if you know what I mean so let's if you take uh, a dark horse group C let's take from 2006 which was Argentina Holland Serbian Montenegro and the Ivory Coast. Now, obviously, mm. this is kind of peak Drogba era mm. uh, when, you know, and Yaya Torre would have been in that team as well. It was a, a very good Ivory Coast team, but they didn't get out of that group in the end. But it kind of feels like there's something more exciting about that purely because, like, this is their moment. This is going to be the first time they're going to really make an impact at a tournament. So I think that just kind of gives it a bit of an edge that otherwise it might not have. I, I worry, Ivo, that the fourth team is always a bit of an afterthought. That It's a little bit more tenuous. You can just about get away with it. Well, that's the hard thing, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm sure different, um, uh, you know, diff, different people have different sort of house styles when it comes to groups of death. <laughs> because I think you, you uh, I do see James' point about, about, you know, about a massive two, hmm. but it's very rare, I think, that you'll, you'll, you'll get a massive three. And if you do, then it's certainly at the expense of the fourth, in which case the fourth is. There was a, a Champions League group a few years ago when it was, um, the, the minnow was like... App- uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, like Apoel Nicosia. Right. But they had like Spurs. Um, I've written it down and I can't find it. What? <laughs> oh, no. I, Spurs, Real Madrid and Dortmund. And that was right. referred to as, as, the, as the group of death of that Champions League. Yeah, I'm not buying that. James, James we're not having that as a group of death, are we? Uh, no, I, don't think, I mean, I think in the Champions League, it feels like you really need to have like kind of currently established top teams. Also, I mean, it feels like when you're playing home and away, in the group, it kind of feels like there's a little bit less at, at stake and a little bit less risk, at, like, a little bit less kind of death-defying to be done because you're always going to get that second chance. No, but having I, said, I having said that... Have, I shouldn't have brought the Champions League into it and I do apologise. Well, well, no, no, no. I think, <laughs> I, I think that's OK, but can I give you a group from 1998-99? Sure. And then this is Manchester United's group. Um, they were in Group D with Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Brondby, Brondby. of Denmark. Yeah, mm. which, you know... Uh, from an, an alliterative sense, it's obviously very pleasing, but also it's quite a nice blend of teams. You know, you've got something, you know, you've got some big glamorous names and also a team that felt very kind of exciting in that time. You know, Scandinavian football at that point kind of felt quite... Oh, yeah, sexy. they're just so, so organised, the Scandinavians. And if, exactly. if you have to go there in winter, I guess that kind of increases the deathiness of it. Um, delving even further into the Wikipedia page, Ivo, um, it, it, it has a 
decent stab at trying to kind of transpose the group of debt onto other sports, which <laughs> which gets very tenuous. Um, uh, apparently, the New York Times declared the 2010 Olympic men's ice hockey qualifying Group G uh, as a group of death. This was Norway, Denmark, Kazakhstan and France. I don't know anything about ice hockey, but that doesn't strike me as particularly lethal. Well, I don't know anything about it either. I mean, I'm quite scared of it as a, as a sport. I'm sure every, for me, every every entry to the rink is a is a is a potentially mm. fatal experience, regardless of which uh, countries I'm up against. Um, but it's lovely to see it being being absorbed into um, into other things. I'd like to go back to definitions, though, because mm. w- w- would you accept, James, instead of three massive and and one small to make up the numbers, one where it's like countdown? You've got four. You've got four good teams but maybe at the cost of any overall greatness. So, for example, at, at the last World Cup, you had Sweden, Mexico, Germany, but quite a weak Germany who didn't get through, and South Korea. So no one in that group, uh, you know, made it anywhere near the latter stages of the of, of the World Cup itself. But they're all respectable nations, and it's not a group as a team like England that you'd want to be in. Yeah, I mean, that's like a fairly level playing field, that, isn't it? You probably couldn't, I mean, you, I guess you probably would have predicted Germany would go through and obviously they didn't. But I think generally you would kind of look at that group and say, I have no idea who's going to come second, third and fourth. It's all just going to be completely up for grabs. So I don't know, it feels like that kind of group needs a slightly different name. Because <laughs> it's not quite a group of death, but it feels like it's, a, it's like a sort of group of infinite possibility. Which a I guess group is, of infinite possibility. Like okay, the, the get, that, get that sub paragraph. the Wikipedia page up now. Yeah. yeah. As a final point, I, I I may have to just go alone on this one. I, I refuse to accept group of life as the inverse concept to the group of death. It, it, it doesn't mean it just doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same impact. Um, let, let's draw a line under that one right now. Um, Ivo, tell us about your second one. I feel like we're getting a little bit more obscure as we go along here, which is nice. Second uh, thing that I'm a fan of. Yes, um, a big fan of. Um, players arriving at stadiums uh, with massive headphones, not engaging at all um, with anyone who's there to receive them. And uh, go ahead. Well, I think for a lot of people, this this is this is the sort of thing that might be used in you know as a sort of piece of evidence or or, or just an everyday example of of you know players being in their own worlds and and and, and out of touch. Um, and you know the the the, the the branding of the expensive headphones and the uh, you know offensive R and B to be found within, seen as sort of distancing players <laughs> from the, the 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 romance of of, of arriving at a football match and the earthiness of the fans who await them there. But to me, that was kind of the like uh, as someone who wants footballers to be um, at a, at a complete remove from uh, f- from sort of reality. That's one of my it, it, it's a it's a very potent image for me that. I don't really, I, I don't want them to be able to hear us. I, I don't want to be able to know what they're listening to. And um, ultimately, I want to be treated with a certain amount of contempt, um, which probably says more about me than it does about them. But, yeah, uh, yeah we're, we're delving deep into your footballing psyche, uh, psyche here. Um, James, I think there are other elements to the, to the um, football entering stadium kit that we need to establish here. It's not just headphones. I mean, there's Louis Vuitton wash bags. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, presumably that's sort of a bit of a rite of passage for a footballer. When you when you break into the first team, you must have to go out and buy that quite quickly. Mm. And I mean, I have absolutely no idea how expensive those things must be, but I'm guessing they're ludicrously overpriced for what they are. I mean, when you go on holiday and you need to put all your toiletries in a little bag, I mean, how much would you spend on something like that, like two or three <laughs> pounds? I mean, effectively, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, 
Um, I don't know. Is there like an entry level kind of brand for a wash bag? For, you know, if you're, you're playing for the under 23s, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I mean, Ivo, you did say that um, you, you feel like these headphones are designed so that they can kind of get into their own little world and they can just ignore us all and everybody around. But, you know, there are some caveats to that because there's always that little subtle nod that somebody will give as they walk in very, very slowly to the stadium. And I just, I want to know who that person is. Well,. What, the person on the receiving end of the nod, you mean? Yes, the recipient of the nod. Who's getting nodded at? That's very interesting. Um, a form of flame, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'd be remiss, by the way, in a conversation about wash bags, not to uh, give a shout out to Fraser Digby, um, probably right. the, the, the man in, uh, in recent football history most synonymous with, with having a wash bag um, in his time with Swindon in the 90s. But I, um, I don't really, to be honest, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm really wanting from these from from footballers in the in the sort of image that I'm trying to conjure up here. Mm. I know that it's the opposite, certainly. Even though actually the two might well go hand in hand, it's the opposite of players doing selfies and players um, having too big a presence on social media and players sort of replying to fans and and anything that actually gets you too close, I suppose. Mm. I suppose what I'd really like is a world in which you didn't see footballers at any point other than during the 90 minutes of play. They, they, were, they were just, you know, teleported onto the pitch, maybe a quick post-match interview, and that, that was all you got. They remained otherwise completely otherworldly. The 1990s, that would, that would be exactly how we want it, yeah. To just quickly touch again on wash bags, uh, James, we should, we should mention that Kieran Tierney, of course, turned up with a plastic bag from Tesco. Um, early on in his Arsenal days, um, which Arsenal fans still sing about, I hear. So, I mean, is this I, I just a contrarian? I think it's an affectation. I think he's done that. I think he's done that to make himself a cult hero. Forced humility. Um, now, let's let's assume he's down to earth. Um, speaking of down to earth, that leads on to your, your third love of football, Ivo. Uh, third love is um, is a heroic double save from a goalkeeper. Mm. As someone who you know during the penalty shootout in the garden, sort of golden era of, of childhood, really thought that I would like to be a, a goalkeeper more than an outfield player. But, but obviously um, fell far short on the, on the talent front. There's something about a double save, this sort of animalist, animalistic nature of a, of a keeper pulling something off and then being required to get up immediately and throw himself back into what's frequently quite a sort of a, a dangerous environment with, a, with someone coming in for a rebound. Is goalkeepers, I think, at their at their most at their most flailing and at their most most brilliant. And David de Gea, I think, for all the the flack he's got at various points, is uh, is is a, is a recurring master of the double save. Mm. I mean, on a very technical point here, I there must be a threshold after which, after the first save and play has continued, it no longer it's almost like phase of play. When does it reset? I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in this. It's yes, a bit, a bit like when people claim to have been sort of involved in the build-up to a goal, but actually it was it was mm. eight passes ago. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't I can't arbitrate for. for <laughs> I mean, I think ultimately they they both have to be able to fit into one GIF. Mm. Uh, is that is that too uh, too technological? A, um, uh, a so you're setting a, a threshold of about fifteen seconds or so. Oh, I think of gifts as this is a separate conversation. I think of gifts as more sort of five seconds long. Oh wow! Um, okay, but, right. But, yeah, attention, really it's an attention to... span thing. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think there has to be a cap on the number of touches, doesn't there? It feels like the ball can't kind of go out of the penalty area and then be passed around and come back in. I feel like it feels like it has to be fairly sort of immediate. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't say it's the same attack because that that's 
that that could be potentially be too long. So I'm thinking the the same phase of an attack. But then, I mean, everyone knows what a double save looks like. I think if once once the second save has been completed, if if the doggy kind of jumps up and sticks his chest out and kind of earnestly pushes his teammates away, I think you can safely say that he thinks it's a double yeah. save, and we could probably go with that. Uh, producer Dave has just has just jumped into the Google Doc and says that Ivor looks remarkably like Liverpool goalkeeper Allison. Have you ever had that? Yes, I, I, I grew a beard for the first time this year, the ultimate lockdown cliche. And um, and yet there, there have been a few Alison. There's, there's a comedian called James Gill who was mm. who was astonishingly pushing it pre-beard and said if, if you grew a beard, you'd look like Alison. Oh, right. And, uh, so he and he's it. delighted to see his, his prophecy sort of foretold. Mm. Um, Are you wearing tights? Are you wearing sort of, you know, leg I'm, warming? I'm not wearing tights. Um, Shame. I, not the full Alison then? I'm not the full Alison. No, I think I'm, I'm Alison in beard and very much uh, Adrian in um, sort of, you know, general temperament and uh, reliability. Um, final point on these double or even triple saves, James. Um, the commentator always delights in pointing out that that's what they train for. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like particularly fun training to me. This isn't staying behind and practising free kicks, is it? Well, they do do that thing where they're laying on the floor, right? And they kind of have to go in both directions and the goalkeeper yeah, it's horrible. throws the ball at them incredibly high. But when you see a double save, it's never like they're entirely prone like that, laying on their back, and they save one to their left, parry it yeah. out, and then kind of roll over onto their right and do exactly the same. I've never seen a double save like that. There's, there's always one, one element of the double or triple save looks like it should be incredibly painful. Bravery has to come into it. I think Absolutely. It's an important aspect of the multiple save. Um, well, that wraps up your loves of football, Ivo. I think we're going to have a lot more fun with the things you find particularly disgusting about the game. Um, what's your first one? My first one, and it feels immediately a bit dis- disloyal to sort of, you know, the the tribalism of being a football fan, but chanting about your team's rivals when you're not playing them is something <laughs> that I don't love. And I and I feel sometimes like a bit of a sort of traitor to, um, to Swindon for, A, not living in Swindon, hmm. um, being born in Japan, lest we forget the ultimate act of... <laughs> Wiltshire betrayal, but also having such a fondness for Oxford, where I was at school and university, and is I think by most people's objective definitions at least a, a, a more picturesque environment. Mm. Um, not obviously out in in the suburbs of Blackbird Lees where the Kassam is, and, and obviously not on the pitch. But there is a lot of chanting about Oxford all the time when you go to watch Swindon, and particularly in recent years when they've been significantly more upwardly mobile than us. Mm. It's it's always felt a little bit bitter, a little bit small-minded, and to be honest, a a little bit sort of... um, Unsupportive to the you know to the to the team we've got in front of us. You know, if I was if I was playing, uh, in, you know, if, if if I was playing for Swindon, and I felt that the match that I was part of and the narrative of that was irrelevant to the five or six thousand fans singing about, you know, a, a very dormant at the time rivalry, hmm. I would I think it would demotivate me slightly. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you have any feelings on this as as, as fans. My, my, I get my, my first kind of objection to this, um, James, is that um, you know, should all this kind of all this emotion of footballing fandom, Schadenfreude, bitterness, jealousy, what have you, should that be self-contained in that ninety minutes to just the team you're playing against? Surely, there's a bigger picture aspect to this. You can, you should be able to sing about the team you absolutely despise, despite the fact they're not in front of you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, from from a Spurs perspective, I remember being at White Hart Lane uh, for a Champions League game against AC Milan in 2010, where Spurs Spurs knocked Milan out of the Champions League. Um, mm. And immediately the second the final whistle went, people were singing 
are you watching Arsenal? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And that got a lot of kind of blowback on Twitter from Arsenal fans saying, oh, you've won, you've, you finally played a Champions League game and you've won and you're singing about us straight away, which at the time felt like a fair comment. But we <laughs> moved on 10 years and Arsenal haven't won a Champions League knockout tie since then and Spurs have won loads. Mm. So oh, they so set the story you, you think fine. it led directly? Yeah, you in, think it led in, directly in, to in Arsenal's re- misfortune? Well, it got in their heads, didn't it? In retrospect, it's worked perfectly. Well, it is t- tied into this ultimate sort of um, footy bants cliche of, of people living rent free in other people's <laughs> heads, which <laughs> which I've, I've only got a certain amount of of, of, of time for, I think. <laughs> um, but Ivo, I mean, the the example that that James gives us there is is an interesting subcategory of singing about another team because at least. Uh, you know, bringing closer to your heart, it does at least bring the team into the equation. It says, Arsenal, are you watching? Are you watching this game that's actually happening? That's that's more acceptable, surely. I think that is more acceptable. I suppose, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking about when you're, um, I don't know, 3-0 down at home to Accrington Stanley, as, mm-hmm. as we were just last week, admittedly with no fans in. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I suppose if you're if you're getting hammered, that's that's tricky because then you 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 know the atmosphere is is toxic, yep. whichever way, and maybe it's best to just uh, unite in a shared hatred for someone else. But it's not so much an, an, a sort of are you watching Oxford at the end of a scintillating performance as just the same song about um, fetching a father's gun and uh, and shooting an Oxford fan at quite a tender age, um, which. <laughs> Is not really the sort of um, murder ballad that soundtracks most of my <laughs> Saturday afternoons watching football. But I think when it's celebrating a try, I mean, Swindon beat Arsenal in the 1969 League Cup final, and that usually gets a, a, a shout out at some point. And I think when the historic triumphs are few and far between, and when it feels like a sort of, you know, veneration of a particular great team or a great player, one of the stands is named after the, the player who scored the goals, I think that's quite nice. Um, so I'm not against irrelevant chance in general but uh but i think i think I, I always watch football and think wouldn't it be good if there was a bit more about you know the current team and the new players and the game itself but i suppose it's it's really down to how difficult it is to write and disseminate a popular football chant i i've i've got this image of you um sort of standing on the um advertising advertising hoarding during normal times and you know like those sort of um turkish fans who kind of direct direct the uh with their back to play with like a megaphone and you you sort of shouting out saying keep could we keep it topical just to today please keep um, it topical it, it, it is exactly the phrase that i would like to be bellowing <laughs> at my people um, specifically in a Swindon Oxford uh, context, I like to think that you were there at the age of six watching me play my one game for Swindon's youth team against Oxford in 1996, um, sort of shouting um, horrible things. Yeah, had to mention it, James. You wow. can you can gesture your despair all you like, but it was always going to get mentioned. Got the I forgot to bring this up because I remember you talk. I heard you talk about it on a, um, I think a podcast called Berkhamstead Revisited. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd forgotten that I'm sitting here talking about Swindon and someone has. You know, trodden boards, uh, or you know, turf brackets hallowed. I feel like you shut my poster up in your room or something. Yeah, yeah. I I, I do apologise, Anne, for for coming on and making this. Basically, Swindon fans should should be should be chanting about Adam Hurry's. uh, Yes, absolutely. You know, the 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 brief but bright flame that flickered. Mm. Quite right. In the nineties. Oh, I I didn't intend for this podcast to go in this direction. This is this is terribly embarrassing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. 
Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Anyway, um, on to your, your second um, irritation about uh, modern football. Well, this sounds like the irritation is about one thing, and actually it's a thorny issue, but I think my, my irritation is with the irritation Right, what a terrible introduction to a thing this is, but but I suppose it's 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 to do with the you know the difficulty of coming on a podcast like this where it feels like you have eviscerated so many of the great footballing cliches across various <laughs> media um, that you're struggling to find something that that hasn't quite been done or certainly hasn't been quite thrashed out. Mm. I'm fascinated by the concept of of being on the beach <laughs> and the way that it is sometimes I think weaponized mm. too much. Uh, and maybe I'm, you know, I don't know why I'm coming down again on the side of the pampered prima donnas of football. <laughs> but I think that if a team has, you know, earned themselves a position of safety and is, you know, has fallen too far short of having anything to play for in the opposite direction by mid to late March, they have every right to go out there and phone it in for the last month and a half. <laughs> I, I think that obviously in the lower leagues, usually the allure of that final playoff spot mm. or again in the opposite direction sort of you know four teams going down and, and them all being quite close means that teams are very rarely on the beach at such an early stage and maybe the Premier League needs to introduce some new incentive you know m- most points won you know between mid-March and, and early May <laughs> but you know by a team that was at that time between 9th and, and 13th gets a you know um, I mean, I'm losing faith in that. As, as I said, there should be no, there should be no incentive. Um, and I think sometimes you'll find, you'll see managers uh, who of, of a team who's very much not on the beach, usually in a dogfight, hmm. trying to summon up in the in in you know ahead of a game against a beached team, <laughs> some sort of motivation or some sort of premature uh, you know guilt shaming. As to why they need to take this seriously, and they hope that you know so and so x you know the phrase is always won't be doing them any favors. Ah, yes. Whereas I kind of think if if you are if 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 you are not on the beach and your opponent is on the beach, you you don't get to you don't get to bemoan that. You just have to <laughs> you 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 have, to, you have to turn up. And uh, I suppose it's not the, the team against who's on the beach. It's 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 when the team who you're competing with to stay up mm. is against a beach team. That's that's the that's the issue. Are we approaching yeah. Kevin Keegan's rant here a little bit? I think. Yeah. Was no, there kind of elements of that? I think in that. Mm. Astonishingly, Ke- Ke- there was there was there was more clarity to Keegan's. It, it feels like on the beach, James is like the the kind of sun-drenched cousin of downing tools which is which I appreciate is a different context entirely this is this is when players just aren't doing it for their manager but 
I mean, it feels like something that everyone can identify when they're watching a game. But what are the characteristics that we're looking for? Just players just not giving a shit. Like, how does that actually manifest itself? Yeah, it's, it's players not putting a shift in, right? It's, it's you know, not tracking. Yeah, back. exactly, not yeah. tracking back. Yeah, not not tracking their runners and whatever else. I, now I've said all of that. I completely agree with that. I'm completely sold on that. I, you know, footballers footballers work really hard. They do a lot of running mm. and stuff for like ten months of the year. Yeah. And if they've achieved their objectives by March, then yeah, I agree with Ivo. They should be allowed to just kind of. No, dick around for a couple of months, it's fine. <laughs> there, there are other factors as well. Because the other thing you've got every two years is um, is players wanting to be on the plane. So occasionally oh, yes. you, you'll, have a, you'll have a player at a team who's on the beach, but who's still very much <laughs> uncertain as to whether they're going to be on the plane. Mm. So you've got these conflicting narratives. If you're getting on a plane, the last uh, thing you want is sand between your feet as well. Exactly. So... Um, um, to pick up on the on the plane thing, which is like the perennial kind of um, section header for when you're picking squads for a major tournament. I always worry about the other section headers. Um, James, I feel like we've never really kind of nailed it. On the plane is fine. That That's very evocative. It suggests that they are indeed going to that major tournament. But the things like in the departure lounge. I love still, in the departure lounge. still be going. Why would you be in the departure lounge if you're not going to the tournament? You're not, were well, you there waving them off? You're not allowed into the departure lounge, airport security. So if you're in the departure lounge, you're going to the tournament. It doesn't work. Also, I'm pretty sure if you're going to a major tournament with like England or whoever, you're going to be in some kind of VIP lounge, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't be with the, with, with the great unwashed. Um, yeah, it, it just needs a lot of work. And I, I can't even think what the other section headers are in, in articles like that. Um, sort of waiting by the, the phone, maybe, or something? Airport? Yeah, you're still going. <laughs> Doesn't work. You, uh, bu- buying buying three three sort of chiclet novels for for the price of two at WH Smith. <laughs> Again, still planning to go. Doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, there are no. Right, you're you're right. either going on holiday or you're not going on holiday. There, it, it's it's a it's yeah. It's not a it's, a, it's an all or nothing situation. Um, we we started with a Lineker. Ivo, and we are going to end with a Lineker. This is probably the nichest one of the of the six things that you've brought to the table tonight. Tonight? Today. Depends when you're listening, I guess. Uh, anyway, tell us all about it. Well, it's it's pretty much as, as irrational as they come because it concerns the Lineker for whom I have a great deal of respect. And yeah. um and, and that is Gary, although I do find Wayne a, a, an intriguing character himself. And I think their <laughs> their story is I think it is the the definitive case of of siblings sliding doors um, <laughs> in uh, in popular culture. But when <laughs> I don't like it when <laughs> Gary Lineker interviews managers on Match of the Day, <laughs> I, for me it, it 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 confuses what I have you know held very dear for twenty five years to be the structure of Match of the Day, which is obviously that Gary strides it like a like a colossus i, I mm. think he's a you know a, I, I i just remember line and match of the day but essentially it's it's always been it's always been gary and i, and I yeah. think he's uh i think he's superb um but but it's almost it's almost because of that that i, I you know it's, and it's not even like i you know know the names of the people who are doing the um the post-match interviews most of the time you know let, let garth crooks have his moment um but <laughs> When there's always to me a touch of vanity about when Lineker then says he'll you know he'll cut uh, Jermaine Genus off and he'll mm. say and after the match I caught up with Jose Maria I think no that's uh, you, 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 that's not your job <laughs> and 
you know, there's a lot of people who want Gary Lineker to stay in his lane, but they're more mm. people who get angry because he talks about, you know, refugees too much on Twitter. They think he should sit for. I, I, I think it's. I think Gary Lineker is a, is is a is a is a beacon of of left wing hope and a lot of these things. But mm. I think he should stay in his lane specifically when it comes to match of the day, where he is he is a pundit in the studio and he does not interact directly with the football that's happened that day. Um, this type of niche irritation is exactly why Mesut Harland um, Dix was invented, uh, James. I mean. I, I, I see Ivo's point here, but and, and I've seen this issue raised before. It, it is the bending of time and space in, in the match of the day universe that, that does throw people off. Is it live? When did they record the questions? Well, that's does exactly do... it. It's very confusing. <laughs> did he do the speaking to the TV screen earlier or is he pretending to do it now? <laughs> I mean, we could just ask him, but I just want to know. Um, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't go as... Yes, it does irritate me. I think I kind of agree. Um, is it just an unnecessary flourish for match of the day? Well, I think it, I think that's I think that's they're they're showing off their access, aren't they? Yeah, but yeah, James, does it ruin the match of the day kind of vibe for you? I mean, it does kind of it is kind of like the match of the day equivalent of breaking the fourth wall a little bit, isn't it? It does kind of take mm. you out of, of that natural flow of the program, as Ivo says. You know, you you, you feel like it's a, a linear experience. You know, even though you know the games will start at three o'clock and they're being staggered here, but to then kind of throw back and to acknowledge that you spoke to this person kind of four or five hours ago. It, 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 does, it does feel quite odd. And also the thing you notice is obviously the, the pundits are not sat there when he's interviewing the, the manager. Suddenly you see him sat there yes. as an empty sofa opposite him. <laughs> and you just wonder, you know, how... And he, and he, st- he, he stood up. He shouldn't be stood up. <laughs> mm. he, he, he should be they sat don't show in the him getting up. They should show the whole process. Danny Murphy and Jermaine Genius should be sat in the background sort of twiddling their thumbs going, oh, I've got to be back here in about seven hours. This is really annoying. Because um, it is yeah. tricky match of the day because it is obviously... It is... Uh, tries to retain the notion that it is um that everything in it is a big surprise for the football fan where, where 99 percent of people know uh know the yes. results and occasionally yeah. they'll have to tread quite delicately around n- not revealing something that's going to happen that you know mm. it's going to happen in, in a in a relevant game that they're showing later mm. when it's like oh come on we, we, we you, you just say that and we'll still watch <laughs> and enjoy the highlights in five minutes time you can you can say that west brom had a similar penalty disallowed mm. and uh, and i'm not going to turn off but there is a flip side to that, though. I mean, I mean, when when there has been a, like an absolutely sensational game of football, you know, with seven goals or something like that, uh, I, I do enjoy the kind of the way they kind of allude to what brilliance you're about to watch in the space of the yep. next ten minutes. A little wry smile from Lincoln saying, "This is quite a good one, actually." Um, so th- there is a flip side to that. But I mean, I'm, I'm glad you raised it. I'm glad you got this off your chest. Um, and, you know, if, if we were going to talk about match of the day irritations, I probably would have gone with why do 3D um, sort of holographic uh, depictions of the data when you could just put it on the screen. Um, that's something we can get perhaps get tucked into it another week. But anyway, um, I hope this was quite cathartic for you, at least in the second half of this. It's, um, it's, been, it's been hugely cathartic. I, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's um, try, trying to summon up further cliches for your already, you know, cl- cliche-strewn universe is a, is a mm. challenge indeed. But, yeah. uh, but it's been lovely to thrash a few of them out. So thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming. Uh, James, also, what a pleasure. Welcome back. Sterling effort from you too. Thank you very much. Very kind. <laughs> Um, Thanks, James. Uh, uh, just fittingly for this episode, Ivo is the only one not wearing uh, giant headphones. Um, such is his aversion um, to the phenomenon. Um, but anyway, uh, Ivo, when can people see you in three-dimensional form at some point, v- post-vaccine? 
Uh, well, it, it's post-vaccine, isn't it? And we can't be mm. sure exactly when that is. I'd love no. it to be. I'd love it, love it to be the Edinburgh Fringe uh, 2021. Mm. Um, but uh, if not then, it will be a national tour at some point and everything will be plugged relentlessly on social media um, <laughs> when the opportunity allows. But As no, it should be. Nothing at present. The image of Jonathan Van Tam slamming home the triumphant fifth penalty in this in this tortured, <laughs> lengthy analogy. Let's let's hope that's and that, that hopefully will mark the beginning of the rest of time. Anyway, thanks to thanks to you both, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you back next week, where, where Meza Harland Dix will return once again. Cheers. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.